0: One and we are live for a new episode of the Electric Podcast. I am Fred Lambert, your host, and as usual, I'm joined by Seth Wintram. How are you doing this week, Seth? I'm good. All right. Uh, we have a sponsor for this episode. Uh, this episode of the Electric Podcast is sponsored by Recurrent. Get a free range score, then monitor your EV battery performance with fresh insight each month. Each month, U.S. listener can get started by entering their VIN or license plate uh, by going to recurrentauto.com. The link is in the show notes right now. Uh, thanks, Rick and Ren for sponsoring the show. We're gonna have a little bit more to say about them later on. But let's jump in right now in the news for this week, starting with some uh, a little uh, flashback to uh, <laughs> I think it was like 2016, I want to say, where Elon promised that all of Tesla's uh, supercharger stations are going to be powered by solar, and that later on he said most of them also going to be have solar and energy storage. And a year later, after that, 2017, he even said that they would, uh, most of them, not all of them, but most of them would be off-grid, which sounds uh, sounds weird a bit to me. Like, uh, I don't know why you would initially want them to be completely off-grid. I think there's still value to be connected to the grid. But that's what he said. But the most important thing is, like, all of the station would have solar and energy storage. So back then, when he said that... Yeah, at one point we questioned him and we we're like, why 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 not it happened yet? Like I think at that time in 2016 there was like three or four Tesla superchargers with solar on it, um, and he said that uh, it was because of V3 Tesla was waiting on V3 to uh, to be able to to accelerate the rollout. Not quite clear why, but I mean I assume that. Every time there's a new generation, we're close to a new generation of supercharger. Uh, Tesla always like plans to like shift production to that new supercharger, and it affects the rollout of the um, the deployment of the stations, basically. Uh, so now we are in the same stage, but with V four, and we get some hope that V. Yeah, I should. Go back a little bit. It didn't actually happen in V3. The the expansion of solar and some energy storage too did happen. So there were more stations that started to include solar and storage, but not all of them, not nearly all of them, not even the majority of them. Um, but now with V4, we get uh, what appears to be the first station that's going to be a, a V4 to be deployed in uh, Arizona. Um, Marco RP Tesla on Twitter found the building permits uh, for, where is it in Arizona? It's uh, Yuma County. Oh, 310 to Yuma. That's a good movie. <laughs> I assume that's the same place because, yeah, it was in Arizona. Um, yeah, so this this station in Arizona has the plans and it looks like it's the closest one to start construction for a supercharger V4. Why do we know supercharger V4? It mentioned a supercharger V4 and it has the the new design of it that looks a lot like this, which is the urban supercharger, but taller, longer cable. And um, it has 40 stalls, so a pretty big station. And what's exciting is that Tesla is also planning to have two large solar solar arrays at the station and a mega pack. So I don't know. I I actually don't know if there's any other Tesla supercharger station. And if you know of one in the comment, put them right now. But uh, of a supercharger station with a mega pack. I know there's uh, quite a few with super, uh, not super, power packs. But I don't know of any with a mega pack. Um, sometimes Tesla deploys something that you, looks like a Mega Pack, like a, I think probably is a Mega Pack, or modify Mega Pack to have like supercharger stalls on it, and uh, they supplement the station when needed with that. But it's not something that's uh, actually permanent at, at, a, at a station. So here that that could be really much a glimpse of the supercharger station of the future. So a V four station, which we don't know exactly what V four brings so far. The Elon did say that you can expect higher output, though he didn't say exactly what. He said that there's going to be some, some kind of a slow progression uh, between 250, to uh, right now 250, I mean, and then up to like 280, 300, and 350. So we don't know how that's going to happen exactly. The cars need to be able to take them to, to take that charge rate. And the other big thing that's likely going to come with Supercharger V3 is it's some kind of integration with CCS so that those stations can charge non-Tesla uh, EVs. but this new station coming with solar and a mega pack can also tell you that Tesla is likely going to now emphasize more uh, this integration, which has been promised for a long time. So maybe Tesla will, event, will finally deliver on that promise.
1: Yeah, you know, you brought up a good point before, like it would make absolutely no sense not to have this thing on the grid because while it's not, you know, backing up power or whatever, like the, having a mega pack not on the grid seems like. Craziness, Like you could, you know, during super peaks, you could send energy back into the grid or, uh, you know, and then when uh, power's low, you could charge the, uh, you know, at in the middle of the night, you could charge the mega pack uh, off the grid when, you know, power's cheap. So yeah, I would assume that the the
0: the thing here is is that like probably like you, you would assume that the peak power the peak demand for the supercharger station it probably wouldn't somehow match peak demand for the grid too, so that uh, there wouldn't be that much value of being connected to the grid. But I would assume that yes, there has to be also some value. Like right now with the with the mega pack, like you you could literally probably charge all those you could, you could charge forty cars, with, right? So all the stalls maybe with not the full
1: speed, but. You
0: know, well, yeah, maybe uh, I'm not talking about the output here. Maybe the output would be more a problem, and depends on how many uh, inverter they're, they're installing, and everything. But the, at least uh, energy capacity wise, it's about 40 of vehicle, average of vehicle that you can hold in the Mega Pack. So you can trickle charge it throughout the day with the solar, and then discharge with the Mega Pack. That's definitely that. One. But the, the biggest value of the Mega Pack, of course, comes with shaving peak demand from uh, um, those station. If you have 20, 30, 40 car charging at the same times same time here at the at the supercharger that creates uh demand charges that are go through the roof like this is uh where you would expect your energy cost to be around like in california maybe 30 40 cents per kilowatt hour uh, it, it would go up to like five six seven dollars per kilowatt hour and it's also peak demand right now so you're you're charging um you're 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 like charging, charge unloading maybe a megawatt hour during that time of having the so so it's thousands and thousands of dollars that it's costing you uh not not ideal but um yeah so it's so we can't wait to see that coming because as far as i know right now like that i might i i think that Fire america might have might have more power packs or Energy storage period at their station than Tesla has in the U.S. Might be wrong, but from from the data that I have, that's what it looks like right now. So, yeah, we're excited about that. And hopefully it means that other uh, Supercharger V4 coming uh, to the market are going to be also including uh, solar and batteries. Speaking of batteries, uh, we had a comment from Martin. Uh, sorry. Yeah, Martin, the Martins in the Martin uh Vieca. So, I have someone at the door here that's talking. Uh that is um the uh, head of uh, investor relations and he um he uh, attended a uh, conference in at Goldman Sachs in, in San Francisco this week and he made some interesting comments about Tesla, uh, including the most interesting one likely is that uh, we, we sort of talked about that a little bit before that Tesla is not supply constraint right now when it comes to battery cells but he did expand on it that saying that, that for the first time we can access all the supply we need for both businesses specifically highlighting the fact that Tesla has enough batteries not only for its vehicles right now which has been the focus for the last few years and Elon Musk already commented that Tesla doesn't need any more batteries right now to achieve its goal of 2 million vehicles per year uh, by the end of the year. But also for the Tesla energy business, Tesla has the supply to ramp up, which makes a lot of sense because we reported last week that uh, we got some numbers out of Gigafactory Nevada for, for, for the first time, where Tesla is apparently producing 6,500 uh, power walls per week and uh, 42 megapacks per week. So that would make sense. That, that, that was surprising to a lot of people that that was like a higher output than we thought. And that would explain it, that Tesla now has the battery cells to put in not only their vehicles, but in those power walls and megapacks. And then I want to link this news to the next one because they, they, they work together very well, is that there's a, basically a new megapack the megapack used to be listed as uh, as 3 megawatt hour but it was actually a 2.6 megawatt hour when you get into the details so tesla like rounded that up very nicely <laughs> uh, but uh, now uh, if you go to the details of the megapack in the configurator it shows at 3.9 megawatt hours so a big big increase in um, energy capacity However, that's not an increase in energy density because the the actual physical specs of the mega pack also went way up at six feet longer. So that's that's significant. It's also a lot heavier, 60% heavier at 83, uh, basically four thousand pounds. So we're much bigger mega pack, but with a lot more energy, about 50% more energy in it. So that's that's a big increase. And of course, that's speculation at this point. But if you have... More energy capacity, uh, but heavier than it was before, more heavier than their energy capacity increase, that would point to a less energy dense chemistry, which a lot of people would think LFP. So it's possible that Tesla has switched the mega pack to LFP cells. And then when you take into account Vieca's comment from this week uh, that Tesla has now enough cells for both business, it might make sense that Tesla has secured a large supply of LFP cells that are coming into. Not only the standard range model three and model wise, but also Tesla's energy storage product like Mega Pack and possibly even Powerwall.
1: You know, it's funny. I was just thinking uh, the Mega Packs are basically, uh, you know, they're uh, container size, like you would have it on a container ship, right? A little yeah. bit longer now. Mm-hmm. They could do a, they could basically put a Mega Pack on the back of a Tesla semi and drive it. All the way cross country, right? Yeah, but that's what's the goal of that? <laughs> Just to drive an electric vehicle across country? Without, <laughs> yeah, because there's no <laughs> there's no load capacity.
0: <laughs> Your load is the batteries. Now, uh, what if? Oh, what, what if like you can um, package the batteries that you ship for a per? Like you want to deploy a mega pack somewhere, so you ship it fully charged. And it charges as it drives the Tesla semi. Absolutely. And then yeah. unloads it somewhere where you need it, like a supercharger station, a new V4 supercharger station. And then you deploy it there. Well, that, now you have a Tesla semi also that's, half, that's halfway around the country. <laughs> right. You're going to have to charge but Well, it is. It makes the, it makes the, the, the traveling more efficient one way, but that, that goes back to <laughs> the old age. Uh, argument about like evs with infinite range and like a, like the thousand mile roadster well 600 miles i should say right. the Aptera with a thousand miles on that like it, it's it sounds great and it's great for like oh you can use it all week and then having to worry about charging it but for one go like that like you would want to do with the tesla semi uh, it's not really a purpose because no one is just going to be keep driving all the time like
1: that i know Especially as a truck as drivers a stunt, yeah, stunt though you know huh as a stunt, you know, like yeah, yeah,
0: I know as a stunt that would be like a cannonball a, run. Yeah. Trying to break the cannonball run with a Tesla. semi so that would be, that would be interesting, but I don't think even, well, I mean, you, yeah, you would have to switch driver basically, because I think with semi trucks, you have a limit on how long you can drive, uh, continuously because of, uh, you know, if you lose control of it as a semi truck, it's dangerous uh, right. sure as well.
1: and also at, uh, what? 84,000 pounds, uh, you wreck that thing it's it's going to be a lot of damage yeah for everyone involved yeah
0: so yeah also have uh we were talking about the power output of the makeup pack earlier for uh, uh for the um supercharger we you, you have them here actually so there's two versions there's a two hour version and four hour version and uh, the difference is not about the um energy capacity but about how fast you can discharge it so the two hours version you have basically a two megawatt output and one megawatt for the four-hour version. And uh, the slower version is also a little bit more efficient at 93.5 efficiency versus 92. So that, that's, that's kind of that's 1.5%. That's uh,
1: it's significant.
0: It's, significant. That it's 1.5%. Like for every 100 kilowatt hour that you deploy, it's 1.5 kilowatt hour that you're losing. So uh, at 20 percent. I wonder cents, if it's just uh,
1: like the inverter on that. Like it's yeah. slower, slower but more efficient.
0: Yeah, it must be doesn't eat and uh, like eat less as much. Uh, but yeah, so two megawatts of output on a, on a, on the two hour version. I mean, you still you still there is a difference. Even if you lose one point five of efficiency uh, for if you're shaving a megawatt more on your peak demand, uh, your demand charges are going to drop significantly. So it's still worth getting the two hour version for the The supercharger V four, in my opinion and yeah so two megawatts that's at 250 that's gonna be eight chargers at once at full capacity uh, which never happens basically because depending on how when the car arrives like you know you get 250 only for like five minutes even if that's that's even the case uh some update on the pricing with that the price actually went up which is like kind of surprising cuz i eh, if it's if it's LFP, like that that's the only thing that makes me think that it might not be lf cuz the price went up a little bit uh, but also the price went up of everything so <laughs> like that tesla and the demand for the mega packs is through the roof right now so i don't think tesla is probably just trying to capitalize on that demand uh, cuz the per kilowatt hour basis went from 591 per kilowatt hour to 622 but that's just for one single mega pack which there's not a lot of application of that other than for tesla itself i guess with the with the superchargers uh, a lot of the times you have like at least a 10 mega, megapacks a project or even a hundred plus megapack project so for 10 uh the uh, cost per kilowatt hour is now 500 dollars so a big difference from 622 <laughs> and um for uh 75 for 100 plus so the difference between 10 and 100 doesn't go down that much actually so if you're going to get 10, might as well get 100. <laughs> yeah. And of course, it's a difference between a $20 million project and a $200 million project, too, man. At this point, like, you're not talking about, like, powering your little resort. You're ta- talking about powering, like, a, a city. <laughs> right, a small town. Yeah. All right. I just posted that this morning. I did my first drive with the self-driving beta 10.69.2. So the two is the new, like, refined version that, that Tesla is pushing out to the entire fleet. Everyone should. If I have it, everyone should have it right now. Everyone that has FSD Beta at least. And I mean, set might finally have his own FSD Beta quite soon because when the new version is coming out, it's going to push out to everyone that has a, a driver safety score over 80. And if you don't have a driver safety score over 80, you're probably doing something wrong. <laughs> What's your score at right now, Seth? I think
1: 93. Not last time I checked. All right. So, so I should yeah, be you in. should be
0: you should be getting this incredibly useful feature quite soon.
1: Oh yeah, is it incredibly useful? Yeah. So my so it was a quick like it was
0: people I uh, you didn't ninety what? 93. 93, okay, that's good. Um people are like that was on the toro test and everything, like in and, and all that. Like this I did I literally did my first drive in it the first time I got in my car since I got the update. Just trying it, we literally just went from my house to a restaurant yesterday. See uh, how it performs. So purely like first impression type of thing, and I said it was a fail, and then all, everyone was like, "This is clickbait." Look, it tried to go on a block road. To me, like it's it's a fail. To me, like I know it's not necessarily like a a very uh, common use case, but still, I, I think it's kind of a priority that if you see a barrier on the road. Uh, you might have to like shut it down and like we we do something else and it literally tried to go through it. So, <laughs> um, so yeah. For first impression, the I I see some improvement for what autopilot is good at already, which is like staying in your lane and and driving within within your lane and accelerating, decelerating based on traffic. Like that's that's very good. Which it, it, it's it's uh. uh it's an improvement over a previous update because in previous update, I, I thought clearly that that wasn't as good as Autopilot. And we know it's two different stacks and they're going to be merged uh, relatively soon. We don't know exactly when. There's always delays on that stuff. But uh, that brought me some concerns on that. And now those concerns are kind of being elev- uh, going away a little bit with this update. And as I do more testing, I hope it's going to continue that way. But, yeah, so that's one thing. Then if this was a like that's a, that's why I said it failed too because this was a very simple drive on I'm going I can show it here like yeah uh, so the drive was on country roads and residential roads I was going to get to downtown but the, the system failed before I could get there so uh, I didn't even get through a traffic light
1: downtown so again, Montreal or downtown. Uh-
0: Shawinigan. No, okay, I'm sure. not even trying Montreal anymore. Like I mean, I'm okay. in mean, Shawinigan now. I'm going to I'm, I'm going to keep testing thing again, Shawinigan, which I think it's a little bit easier on on the FSD. So yeah, it starts on Country Road and then I gets into a more residential area and it did pretty well. A lot of people like maybe you can Settle the debate here because I've been in debating that in the comment section here. Uh, I can speed it up on where it does it, though you don't see it as well. Where like it, th- this was the first the, the turn here, which we did pretty well here because the f- a right turn. But you see, like all the trees here on one side, you cannot see the cars coming on the left. This is not. This is just. A, uh, there's no stop for the, the cars coming from the left here. So. The car has to creep forward a little bit to see uh, if there's any car coming. It did it perfectly well. I was pretty impressed by that. But then, as it comes into the lane, it hugs the center lane, which is a bit scary, especially in this case. It was a car coming in, uh, mm. so I didn't like that. But then, uh, when we come up here, this is a four-way stop coming up, coming up right here. And the car, this is a bike lane, and the car like goes into the bike lane at the stop sign here. And goes Mm. to the right. And I got people in the comments telling me that that's okay. That's how you're supposed to do it. You're supposed to block the bike lane because you're supposed to take the space before you do the turn. Don't tell bikers that. Yeah. I mean, they said in California, that's the way you have to do it. So that's why the car is doing that because, of course, it's been trained in California mainly. I've never done that in California myself. And I drove. I lived in California for a better part of uh, two years. And uh, I've never done that. <laughs> so uh, maybe I've been doing it wrong all the time. But in Quebec, I'm pretty sure that that's not how you do it. Uh, you you have to be mindful of if a biker or it is coming because, uh, of course, bikers are often known not to really be concerned with stop signs. Uh, so you m- make sure that uh, no one is coming as you turn and you look at the, your blind spot and your mirror. But that, that's it. I don't go into the lane. Uh, some people said it's because the car is trying to... Uh, leave space for another car to go on your right if they want to to go straight at the stop or turn left instead maybe but in, in this case i think you, you should still stick to the road here. you know shouldn't go into the uh, shoulder or in this case the bike lane but yeah so so that was the first thing that i wasn't man nah, that's not great but not nothing too crazy i'm just like uh, I'm, I'm just giving feedback here where we come to the fail here uh it's uh it, it, it's Two things. Like, first of all, I, I didn't know. I said um, my Tesla fans are already saying that I was acting there, that I knew there was construction. I knew there was block roads and I'm all crisis actor,
1: this. crisis yeah, I'm actor.
0: A, I'm a crisis actor. Was, I, I, I drove through that road like two days ago and those, those uh, uh, barriers were not there. Uh, it's very new, and my rea- I'm a pretty good actor. If those reactions are fake, if I may say so myself. So the first thing is like you see those barriers on the on the left here. Uh, so those one on the are on the road uh, on the on the other side of the road, but this one is embarking. You see right here, it's embarking on my side of the road. So right. I was waiting to see is is the system seeing this, and it it, it wasn't at first, and then at the last second. Well, not the last second, I guess right now. Uh, I don't no. know if that's the alert right now to take over or it takes a second more because, oh yeah, now because now it becomes red. I literally, like a, a half a second from hitting it, for, not hitting it, but like getting really close to him, it, it says take over. But then I saw that I was getting around it anyway. I don't know if it's the, 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 the car like tried to get around it and, and successfully did it. Or if uh, it was just like luck that the, the car was more in the center of the road enough to avoid it. But it did give me an alert to take over. I just saw by myself that I don't need to, so I let it go. So there was, there's actually no driver intervention here, even though they asked me to. And you see, I, I just gave it like a little tug on the steering wheel to let it know that I'm in control. But it never disengaged. So I was like, all right, this is a little bit scary, but technically no fail here. It's uh, it, it did pretty good. Uh, Then we arrive at a four-way stop. So that was the first intervention here. So I didn't. I really didn't like the way it was approaching the stop. Like it was approaching extremely slowly to the point where, like, it looks like I'm I'm first at the intersection. Like you see, like the the pickup truck is super far away from the stop, but it keeps advancing so slowly towards the stop sign that I'm actually like uh, I'm uh, I'm actually. the system thinks it's second to go. It doesn't have the priority to go because the, the car took so much time to actually made it stop. But anyone that was there at the stop sign, including that pickup truck who was looking at me like what's happening here because they they saw that I was coming in first. Uh, they, they decided to go after waiting for a second, which is fine. Right. Uh, but I ended up having to press on the accelerator to let it know uh Go go forward, uh, which is something you can do when you see that the system is is, is too much. You press on the accelerator pedal and it goes. Uh, so so this was I wouldn't I didn't call it a fail because of that either. Like people saying, hey, "What do you call it a fail because of that?" It, that's just a driver uh, intervention. It's not a driver disengagement. But now we're getting to the driver disengagement where you have a, a closed road right here, and I was wondering what the, the car is going to do here, and it didn't look like it was going to go through it because you see you see like the pat like goes around it a little bit, even though it's pretty much like dead in the center of the road, like you can barely go through the right side here. Uh, But it wasn't decelerating at all whatsoever. And it was just going to try to get around the block road here. So now there's been a lot of speculation. So I disengaged right away, press on the stop, uh, press on the brakes and turn around. And there's a lot of speculation of why it was doing that. Uh, of course, the sign is in French. It says, which is mean, which just means blocked road. So people are like, well, do you, do you expect this FSD to read French? I'm like, no, but I expect to read it. Like, there's a barrier in the middle of the road. Maybe I'm not supposed to go down that road. That's more like just basic logic. I don't expect it to read multiple languages. Uh, um, actually, that, reading multiple languages shouldn't be that hard. No, no, for sure. But in this case, obviously, the focus is... Um, the focus is Canada and the US, and that's mostly right. all in English. So they're not, I I understand that they wouldn't focus on that. My point is just like there's a barrier there. Don't try to go through it. Just especially the fact that the uh, autopilot is linked to the navigation system. I think you would just be able to, uh, all right, this road, this block, let's quickly find an alternative r- route and, and get there anyway. And this was literally like going around two streets and, and getting there. So I I, re- I really don't know. Uh, but to me, I call it a fail, and like you know, people are upset. It's clickbait and whatnot. But like, it was my first impression of the thing. Like we did a ten-minute drive, and it uh, it gave me the wrong speed limit. It embarked on a bike lane, almost hit a barrier that was extending through the road. Uh, I had to press the accelerator to get through um, a stop uh, uh, intersection, and. Almost decided to go through a, a block road, so that's that's a felt to me. If you want to argue against that, I'm perfectly willing
1: to argue, but that's how I see it. So, so my neighbor actually got FSD. Uh, and I told you I'd ridden with him. Mm-hmm. Um, he got the 1069 uh, two update uh, last night, so we took that for a little ride around town. And I have to say it was improved. Um, most of what I noticed is that it didn't hesitate as much at stops. Um, it still did, but not nearly as much. And I also, uh, so it, it actually made it from where we started to the, we tried to get to the store and it made mm-hmm. it there without any like forced interventions. That said, there were a couple times, like we were riding down a road and there was like a do not enter sign for the road that was coming in. Mm-hmm. And it saw that like on an angle or whatever, and it slowed almost to a stop. Mm -hmm. you know, from 45 miles per hour. And it did that twice on two different roads. Like it it saw a stop sign that was like, you know, kind of diagonal. Mm -hmm. So it stopped almost completely twice from like going 35, 45 miles per hour. So like it it wouldn't have killed anybody. And like if if I was sleeping in the back, I would, we would have made it to the store and nobody would have been (laughs) arrested or killed, but it still isn't, you know, doing perfectly.
0: Yeah. And that was in suburbs of New York, relatively easy uh, driving situations. Uh, Yeah. I mean, I, I, I've seen some points, like, like you said, I I understand like some confidence improvement and and things like that. Uh, I'm going to be testing this update a lot more. Uh, I'm going to put my little setup in my car and try to do a little bit more testing here. And instead of having my girlfriend in the back uh, with my iPhone all the time, (laughs) <laughs> um so there's gonna be more of those videos coming longer i'm, I'm gonna to try to build a test route that i can re- repeat for every uh update that would be useful too uh so you can subscribe to the youtube channel and see the video there and the, the first one is is up for my first my first drive if you want to see the whole thing uh even though we went through we went through most of it just now uh, speaking of full self driving, Tesla is facing its first class action lawsuit uh, about it. It's uh, it's was basically inevitable. We've been talking about it for a while. Like it's it makes sense really that uh, some people are like to the point that they think that legal action is their is their only way. I've I've been saying it for a while now that I think Tesla should at this point just at least offer to anyone that asks for it uh, 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 being reimbursed for full self driving data. Like, just whatever you paid for it, like, we'll give it back. You can, uh, or or some, at least some kind of, uh, maybe not the full software driving but, like, uh, you can you can revert to uh, enhanced autopilot, so have all the other cool features that are actually useful. And we're going to, it's going to be hard to find the actual difference of that. I guess you're going to have to go back to when uh, the person actually purchased the upgrade to full self-driving. But I'm sure it's doable, and, and to to reimburse the difference of that, and I think I think you would avoid things like this lawsuit right now, uh, because this thing it's gonna it, it's gonna be a, a lawsuit that I, I think is uh, unless Tesla decide to settle on this, I think it's gonna likely go all the way because there is a lot of there, there's a lot to work with here in terms of right. everything Tesla promised over the years, everything Tesla showed, right and and there are things too, like there's. I'm not saying that's the level of Nikola Motors with like the faking, the 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 car going downhill and all that. But I, we were sold on like this the demonstration video that Tesla did, like in 2016, and then the one that they did again in like 2018, or whatever it was. And the, those those videos, we know now that Tesla drove like hundreds of miles to make those video work and everything. Like it was a long process that like completely goes against what the process that the process that Tesla is selling us right now, like that, that we're using the data from the fleet and everything to to improve. Like they just like all right, they, they just optimize for a specific route. You remember back in the like the oh we can go cross country if you want, like we cross country by the end of the year and all that. And then Elon the reason Elon gave for not doing the cross country trip and like other companies doing it is like we're not gonna do that because that's gimmicky because you can just optimize for a route and make that route work, and then you film it, and then bingo. And that's pretty much exactly what Tesla did for its own demo video of a uh, of the full self driving system. So there's so much. If if I was a lawyer on this case, like I would, uh, I would just be salivating with all much all the content that I can use uh, against
1: Tesla here. It's almost so, too much. There's yeah. there's like you could present for months. Yeah, it's gonna be a complicated
0: trial. Like there's there's no doubt like this is gonna be this is gonna last a, a few weeks, um, yeah. So uh, it's uh, the firm of Kochet, Petray, and McCarty LLP. They put the class action together with this this guy. Um, that you always need a lead defendant, a lead a lead plaintiff, Mister Briggs Matsko, and then they are seeking to add uh, a plaintiff to the case to make it a full class action lawsuit, and then. Once it's a full class action lawsuit, anyone with FSD can claim uh, uh, compensation if if they win. Uh, so so this is uh, going to be something to follow. Uh, it's not the first time that Tesla has faced a class action lawsuit, and Tesla has lost it well, or at least ended up settling. Well, yeah, a lot of what happened with those type of class action lawsuits is like if they go far enough, where it starts to look like okay, like the judge is going to have to be involved and, and award punitive damage. The companies generally settle. So far, the uh, uh, the model s 85 kilowatt hour battery pack that tesla software locked and reduced supercharging capacity on that went to a class action lawsuit and that was looking like uh, they were going to win and tesla ended up settling and giving like i don't know it was like eight hundred dollars to everyone or something like that and in this case i think it could be like a similar situation
1: it's a lot of money though i mean they they've they've taken in a lot of money a hundred thousand
0: people, at least more than a hundred thousand people in in North America, right? So yeah, at at ten thousand each or yeah. five, whatever. Well, I don't think it's gonna be like a full cost of the thing that they're gonna sell on, but still.
1: Yeah, I mean, they could even charge interest, or I mean, some people have had Teslas had their money for you know three, four, or five years. Yeah.
0: All right. Uh, do you want to do a quick ad read on Recurrent?
1: Sure. Uh, This week's episode is sponsored by Recurrent Auto. Recurrent lets you check the battery before buying a used EV and monitor your battery performance with monthly insights using its free battery reports for EV owners. And the new range score tool by Recurrent is like an odometer for EVs. It tells you at a glance how far a used EV can go compared to when it was new. It's also kind of like the iPhone. You know, you get that battery is 80% of what it was. Uh, it's especially helpful for people who are new to EVs and don't always know the questions to ask about range and degradation. It Surveys and early results have found that buyers pay more for cars with range scores. Even if not perfect condition, anything is better than unknown and substantially more for cars with really good range scores for EV owners thinking about selling in the next 12 months. e.g., waiting for a pre-order for a hot new EV recurrent offers a free EV specific valuation from black, book that owners can use to sell their EVs at a premium when ready. It's only available in the U.S. at the moment for most Tesla, Chevrolet, and Nissan EV models. You can head over to recurrentauto.com slash sell for more info and to get your free reports now. Thank you to Recurrent.
0: Thank you, Recurrent. Uh, all right. We have a few more news items to discuss, and then we're going to jump into the questions and comments. So if you have a question for us about uh, any subject that we discussed today or any subject in the EV world, uh, you can put it in the comment section right now. I want to get to them in a few minutes. All right. we have, uh, We have. That's a story, of course, that we've been tracking very closely because it's a big story. The Tesla Gigafactory Factory Canada. Uh, There was a a, a quick update this week and today. uh, So the the Minister uh, of Industry in Canada, Mr. François-Philippe Champagne, was teasing the fact that he met with a bunch of automakers at the Detroit Auto Show this week and that he was going to meet with an unnamed automaker in California uh, today, Friday. And he confirmed Mm. it today that uh, obviously it was Tesla. So he did a full tour of the Fremont factory and talked to the Tesla leadership, so he confirmed that he talked to Tesla leadership. Didn't, didn't say Elon or anything like that, um, but um, he did talk to the leadership. He said it about investing, about uh, electrification, all that. Didn't go into the details of actually uh, Tesla building a factory in Canada, but everything is starting to point towards um, Tesla likely building a factory in, in Canada, and. I want. I want to make something clear to everyone here because I see a lot of people, like infighting between people like who, who wants to like who's gonna have the factory. We wanted here, we want it there, and all that. There's gonna be a lot of Tesla factories in the next uh, to, before the end of the decade. Like literally eight more that Tesla need more like full size gigafactories that Tesla need by the end of the decade in order to uh, achieve its goal of twenty million cars per year. So this is just one and then there's going to be seven more. So there's going to be a lot more, probably like one or two more in North America, one or two more in Europe, one or two more in Asia. So I wouldn't worry too, too much about it. There's a chance that there's going to be a factory with like somewhat near you, <laughs> wherever you are in the world relatively soon. So let's start with the infighting about like, wow, this place is trash. Let's come here instead and all that. That's just that's dumb as hell. All right, Ford is trying to solve the dealership problems with um that's a, that's another problem that Tesla created really. Well, and the dealership kind of created it first, but that Tesla showed that there was another way to do it. If you like a lot of people at first, they were trashing Tesla about this dealership model. Ford including, like I remember Ford commenting on it, like hey, we we have uh yeah, people are coming on my house nonstop. It's crazy. Sorry about that. <laughs> um there's um they, they were they were like telling that their dealership network is their greatest asset. Like we have this dealership network that's that's a, a big deal. Like Tesla doesn't have that. We provide the services. We provide um, confidence to our customers. have confidence in, into our dealership network. And Tesla is just has to build that out, and and then uh, it's they, they don't have the same in, incentive and all that. But since then, since uh, Tesla has built out its network. And now other automakers are launching their EVs and they need to compete with Tesla. They're realizing that maybe that their dealership network is not necessarily as strong as an asset as they thought it was, uh, which pretty much anyone could have told you that uh, before because anyone that had any experience with a dealership, I mean, some of them are great, there's no doubt about it. Like it depends on how they run and everything, but for the most part, it's, so clear that you're dealing with a middleman and that they're just like someone trying to get their cut. And like, that's, that's what it is. And then when you go into service, you have this whole thing of like, Oh, they, they found a bunch of things to fix on your car that, uh, you thought one broke before. So they're easy to eat. Let's just say it like that. They're easy to eat.
1: Did I tell you what happened to my mom? Uh, (laughs) I I bought her Chevy bolt and, uh, paid the whole thing and said, Hey, my mom's coming to pick up the car. So while she was there p- trying to pick up the car, they sold her a uh, a dealer service package, which actually included oil changes, uh, also rotating the tires and fluids. And, you know, you really, but
0: the oil much. change was probably the biggest part of that package, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah, the biggest was, part. How much was it? It was like 1800 bucks. <laughs> and they didn't try to sell it to you who paid no. for the car. They no. tried to
0: sell it to your elderly mother who came to pick it up.
1: Yeah, that was really that's, that's ratty really, as hell, right? And actually, I had to you know threaten them to get them to take it off the mm. thing because she bought it because they were they told her she needed it, mm-hmm. so uh, yeah, that was really frustrating and sad. Um, so that's that's just the dealer you're dealing with, you know, that's mm-hmm.
0: the obviously no they're not all like that, some of them will be wouldn't do that, but just saying. When when that's how you make your money at the dealership like that's that's right they try things like that, so the the yeah in some case you have some dealers like there's some known here like there's the GM dealership in Rosson here in Quebec right. that uh, that they they sell like the as soon as the Chevy Bolt came they they were like oh this is great like we're gonna sell the hell out of this and they they did and they, they continue to do so but there have been other dealership that have been literally like a barrier to selling evs for automakers and ford as now uh, ford is experiencing that not necessarily with the demand because they have the demand for their evs through the roof but the dealership are giving them a bad name because in terms of like the f-150 lightning for example they are crazy markups dealership markups that they're putting on that is just putting a bad taste in the consumer's mouth where they're like oh we can buy um Lightning for fifty-five thousand dollars, and then no, it costs you eighty thousand dollars at the dealership, and you're like, What is this? Like, and then of course, like you don't remember the dealership being the problem, you remember Ford being the problem here. So there's a lot, there's a lot of these issues, and that Ford now this week took a very strong stance against that by basically telling all its dealership to comply to a new two tiered certified EV seller. Uh, certification that you have to get to sell the Ford EVs if you don't comply to those requirements by, uh, well, you, you, I don't think you have to comply by them, but you you have to, um, to tell them that you're going to comply by them by uh, October 31st. And if you don't, Tell them that if you don't like agree to the terms by October 31st, you are not going to be authorized to sell EVs starting January 2024. So the next year is going to be the last year that you're going to get any Ford electric vehicle allocation, which is a giant deal. Like like this is this is a great ultimatum that they send there because like everyone that has a brain at the dealership is going to have to comply here because you obviously EVs is the future at this point, and so you, you see like. They're not dumb. Like, the reason they are marking them up is because there's demand for it. <laughs> they're taking advantage of that demand. So uh, they, they, they should see it coming here and see that if in 2024, they're not allowed to sell any EVs, their sales are going to drop significantly. And especially they're going to see that next year as the allocation for EVs increase at Ford with the F-150 Lightning having a much more production capacity next year. And then you have the Mackies and other vehicles coming. But this is a big deal. So now they have to take the decision right now. Though they, have to, they have to understand what's going to happen next year and take the decision right now. And uh, so what are the requirements here real quick? I didn't write that article, so I don't know all the details, but uh, it's about a million dollars in investment. So it's no joke. Like It's not like a, um, <coughs> a small investment for them. Five new pillars uh, for Ford. So the pillars are training, so specializing the EV teams, their knowledge across cells, EV university. So that's that's something that Ford, I think, is going to provide. And then the, the dealership is going to have to train their employees on that. Then uh, charging, obviously. So you're going to have back-of-house charging infrastructure to support sales and maintenance. So you're going to be able to charge the EVs you work on. Uh, There's going to be public DC fast chargers available on the blue oval network that, that one I'm not like, that's probably a big part of that million dollar investment by, by dealership. And I don't know how, how much value that brings? Like the dealership are not the place you want to go to charge necessarily. So, uh, like th- this one, I don't know if it's has it's a good move by Ford because it probably put a bad taste in 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 those dealership now. Where like they have to invest hundreds of thousands of dollars into those DC fast chargers, where it is not going to see that much value out of it, in my opinion.
1: Well, um, I, I want let me just offer uh, an alternative please. opinion. It's it's so a lot of people especially first time ev buyers want to know how to fast charge and theori- you know theoretically you're given a you know uh walk around the vehicle this is how things work having a fast charger on site they could take i mean besides being able to fill up all the electric vehicles which they need to do anyway and keep them charged and mm-hmm. you know ap- after test drives and stuff but you know part of the like for instance my mom i just mentioned got a, a chevy bolt she had no idea that there was even a charger in the car she like brought it home and was like all right what what do i do now and i was like there's a charger hopefully in the back of the car you got to plug it in and they 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 didn't do any of that kind of training with her they mm-hmm. you know they showed her like you know this is the entertainment system and whatever but like that is a huge part of i mean the People most people are coming from gas cars. They've never done fast charging before. They have a lot of questions about fast charging. So having that uh, there to say, hey, look, this is a fast charger, and theoretically, like, okay, if if everything goes wrong, you can come back here and charge it. Um, you know, as long as nobody else is doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, which and and there's a lot of dealers around. Like if you think about Blue Oval as a network, that's that's adding a lot of. Uh, there's three thousand of
0: them. is just the location. My, my point is more the location is. Not, yeah, the locations not great. aren't great. Yeah, but for, for charging, so I, I could be your point. It's a fair point. I'm just uh, in terms of, but like it's back of that. The, the, they are required back of the house charging and public charging. So I like the public DC fast charger is going to be the much more expensive one. I think. Uh, so yeah, for demonstration, it's definitely good. Though I think you could do that on the back of the house charger to a degree, not with like the payment system and all that, but oh, hopefully like everything is gonna be plug and charge by the time that you're gonna really need that. Oh, yeah. Uh so yeah, there's that then uh ninety six percent of the population live within twenty miles of the uh, oh, yeah okay that that's that's great right, but like, again we go back to the they're not Located nicely like then you plug in and then where do you go you go to you go sit around in the lobby of your Ford dealership like what do you do like because then normally those dealers are like in areas where there's like 20 dealers like like you have to walk like a mile to get out of the dealership area and get into like a, a Starbucks or whatever. Uh, then e-commerce, uh, yeah, that's so that's the big deal here. The transparent, non-negotiable pl- pricing. So to to be clear, dealerships still set the price. Well, okay, let me let me read that clearly here because that's confusing a little bit here. To be clear, dealerships still set the pricing. That's the law. However, Ford wants pricing to be consistent and fair with its customer, and said it will be monitoring the process from. Entry to exit to ensure that the customer signed the dotted line for the same price as originally promised on day one. All right, there's room there to uh, for some shenanigans. Uh, Ford says it would be surveying customer post sale and monitoring the consistency of pricing across different customers at each dealer. Okay, well, yeah, so that sounds more like... Uh, don't tell them something and then deliver another price type of deal. Right. It's not like consistency between dealerships because that's like what wh- I- that's what Tesla offers. Like you, you buy your car at Tesla Montreal or Tesla Quebec City, you are gonna get the same price that the one that you right. set online. Uh, so yeah, I don't know how much of a, the for- it's more like a warning sign that. Ford is, is sending to the dealership. And they already sent that earlier this year where they said like, hey, stop marking up by crazy amounts or uh, we're going to take that into account for the next allocation of vehicles. I mean,
1: that's their only thing they can do. They yeah, because they're
0: right. When you say it's the law, like the law is preventing them for like, when once you have a dealership uh, agreement with a dealer, it's uh, it's set in stone basically. So the, the, the few powers that Ford has is they cannot set the price, but they can be like... A, all right. Well, if you uh, do crazy markups on the F one hundred and fifty Lightning this year, well, next year, uh, even though you sold a hundred fifty this last year, um, next year I'm going to give you uh, fifty. Like just like and that's you're going to have to sell those fifty. But then they're going to try to mark those fifty up even more.
1: Because they- I know because they need to.
0: <laughs> yeah, there's no there's no winning. It's a
1: dumb system. There's was right about that. What they should do is they like Ford should start a new company. Call it, you know. FordDealer.com, and they should sell to anybody in anywhere in the U.S. and ship it out. And then, you know, if if the dealer doesn't, Uh, I think think the the law prevents them to do that too. So it can't. I mean, I guess it can't be the same entity. So you would need like somebody else to come in and do it.
0: Yeah, yeah, because that's that's the reason why they use direct sales law from Tesla, and like Tesla has to argue, like, yeah, but we don't have dealership to compete with. But in Ford, like, if it's ever found out that they are any kind of way behind these things, they will be like, no, this is this is not doable. So, yeah, I don't think that's gonna happen. Ford would basically need to buy out its dealership network. That's what it would have to do, and I don't think that has the money to do that right now. Yeah. All right. Should we get into the comment section?
1: All right. Moving along. All right. Uh, best TV reporter. All right. Thank you. Uh, bike Angeles question. I'm seeing used Tesla prices here in Los Angeles beginning to plateau. Is that an effect of coming $7,500 rebate from the federal government in 2023? What do you think? It's
0: possible. Um, uh- I've heard a few things about how Tesla is like handling the rebate thing, and the, if they're not doing it like in every other automakers. Like pretty much everything they do, uh, they are making everyone respect their order contract. So you cannot. There's no. There's no delaying orders indefinitely until next year and all that. They're not letting people do that. So if you have an order agreement with Tesla right now, you have to take it or leave it. So it's, uh, it's creating a, a kind of a thing right now where like there are people canceling their orders and taking the risk of like this. I won't increase the prices more by the end of the year, <laughs> all that. And with the tax credit coming and, and everything. Uh, but, um, uh, so, yeah, so there, there are openings right now for people to buy more, more Tesla, by like especially now with the end of the quarter coming and everything. There's a lot of mismatching in terms of demand and uh, and what the Tesla Freeman factory is producing and now the factory Texas do. So, yes, there are more availability of Tesla vehicle at this moment, especially in the U.S. So that would affect uh, used car pricing for sure. However, uh, I, like I, I see a lot of people right now, like saying, like going the uh, gloom and doom days are back. Like Tesla, the demand is falling because of uh, the quick timelines for deliveries. But uh, this is uh, this this is more what I just said is happening. It's not about like really. The, there's not a really a real demand issue.
1: I mean, there's a lot of levers Tesla can pull. Like they've basically been selling what three or four colors a car, mm-hmm. so they could they could add more colors. They could add a lot more. Uh, you know internal stuff like options it feels like they've been just producing as many cars as humanly possible for years now Mm -hmm. so once the demand starts to you know uh the supply starts to start meeting demand they can start offering stuff like that which should should help they can offer stuff like that. Now Tesla also has a ton of money and they can, like
0: leasing is not a, as big of a problem for them right. as it used to be. So they, they, they could increase their, their leasing uh, presence, like make leasing a little bit better or even move to like a subscription model, like autonomy and like a bunch. We've seen a giant boom from those subscription model. And a lot of them, like they are attractive to to some people. Uh, so, yeah, that's also, like you said, there's plenty of them and levers that they can pull.
1: All right. And then a the follow-up question, would you buy a Tesla now or wait for 2023 rebate? I'm thinking, wait, but is there any compelling reason to go for it? Is demand going to freeze for Q4 in anticipation of the 2023 rebates? So that's another reason why demand might be slowing down is because people are thinking, all right, mm-hmm. I'm going to get in in 2023 when there's a $2,500 federal tax credit, which is only yeah. three or four months away. Uh, I think
0: I, there's a lot of restriction on those, like the income restriction. A lot of people just don't have access to them anyway. So I don't think that's that big of an effect right now. It has some effect for sure. So like I said, it is creating some openings for uh, Tesla right now to to get Teslas, but not not that big. Uh, myself, uh, if if you need a car right now, I would I would buy a car honestly. They get on. It's, it's you. The value, especially like the that they're retaining,
1: uh, I, I wouldn't be too worried about that. All right, Fred, here comes the big question from Corey Hibbets on Facebook I, I still no comment on the dig at Cybertruck owners on She Hulk. You, you I, know I, what?
0: I actually started listening to She Hulk uh this week. Uh, great show, it's an awesome show, especially if you love the uh, Mar- Marvel universe which I do love the Marvel universe. I'm kind of a nerd when it comes to that stuff. But my girlfriend uh doesn't know much about the uh Marvel universe and I also like the show very much. Uh, I remember the dig about this the Cybertruck. uh they they said something about uh, having a problem with the Cybertruck, but I don't even remember the context. Well, I remember I remember like laughing at it real quick but not thinking it was like that big of a
1: of a deal like which probably wasn't. All right. Uh Chi-town 1111, do you have any information if the three or Y will qualify for the full $7,500 tax credit next year or when we might find out if they will only get the partial rebate? The LFP batteries are sourced from China, correct? Yeah. So, so
0: right now the model
1: three is extremely likely not to get it
0: because of that, because only the standard range version would qualify pr- uh, in terms of pricing eligibility. And we do believe that uh, it is built with LFP cells coming from China, which wouldn't, wouldn't work. Uh, so yeah, the model three, you can forget about it. The model Y uh, would most likely get the credit because it does uh, register as an SUV and, um, and that increases the limit to $80,000, which uh, I think all models qualify then. And then if you have all models qualifying, uh, it's all about the batteries, where they're built. They're all built uh, in uh, in the U.S. And uh, most of them built in, in, in Nevada, I should say. So now it's all about the uh, critical battery material in it and all that. Uh, that's impossible for us to see right now, but I think Tesla has a good chance to to qualify for it uh because it's I think the first years are only forty percent and a lot of it comes from Australia, which is in the list uh so so uh, we'll see
1: and then the model three you know we've seen Tesla in other situations create a battery that fits into the the uh rebate do you think they'll make a smaller model 3 battery that you know somehow like has a mid-range yeah
0: instead yeah, of a mid- standard range lfp you make
1: a software you, you take
0: the long range software locked it under fifty five thousand dollars. yeah that's extremely possible I, w- I wouldn't be surprised if that happens and that would probably be a good deal for tesla too because the long range model 3 they probably make good money on that uh, right. The the problem is just the demand for it. Like, isn't that isn't the long range model three the one that they are not taking order for right now? I think I'm pretty sure it is. So like the, the, it's probably
1: already backlogged. So maybe they won't need to do that either. Right. All right, Patricio Benedon. What is the real range of 4680? A battery day at battery day they said 16. percent Is this already the case? Also, what happened to the ticket avoidance mode on Model S? Greetings from Berlin.
0: Well, for the second question, I'm pretty sure he's joking here, unless he didn't know that that was like a April Fool's type of joke from Tesla, avoid avoidance. Uh, if not, I'm sorry to tell you, Patricio, but it was a joke. Uh, as for the range of the 46 CD. So. What Tesla was saying with a 16% increase is that their the energy density of it within the volume. So if you take the same volume of 2170 and you put it in, in a 4680 format, you do get 16% more energy density that it, it result in, in longer range. But that's that's purely at the cell level. So you have to bring the, the, the battery pack level, and it depends on how much of those cells you decide to put in the battery pack. And so it just means like for the same weight, you would get 16% more range out of it because of the energy density of those cells. Uh, so now, so now it depends on the configuration that Tesla decide to do with those packs. And for now is this kind of like standard range, uh, like more mid mid range model Y that they're doing for it. So that's what we get right now. Um, also, the cells is nowhere near the potential that uh, Tesla was teasing at the Battery Day. So, yeah, it's not quite there yet either. So, there's there's these two things that makes makes this question super hard to answer. Basically, Tesla is not there yet in terms of the technology, and also like they can do whatever they want in terms of the at the battery pack level.
1: Right. All right, uh, Dan Oberst, uh I feel for four dealerships who aren't in good locations for DCFC. If not near interstate, restaurants, shopping, et cetera, a fast charger will go unused, poor capital allocation. I mean, if yeah. you need a charger, you need a charger. So some people will probably still use it. And if it's not in a good location, it's probably in the middle of nowhere, which, you know, is good to have chargers that, you know, everywhere. But, um, I mean, you usually put a dealership where there's, where there's traffic.
0: Um, no, I, I'm really on Dan's side on this because like it, it's so expensive. That's the thing. Like people don't understand how expensive they are. It's several hundred thousand dollars for right. a, a, a DC fast charger. And yeah, I, I do understand the value of it. Like you, everything you said about the value of like showing it to people and everything that does make sense. But in terms of utilization per capital investment, it's gonna be very low. I think I think Dan is right about that. Like capitalization was gonna be very low.
1: Yeah, that's true. Um, Question. In my city, we have several Ford dealerships just a few miles apart. Why should all of these have that requirement? Agree on poor allocation of DC fast charging. That's kind of what we said. You know, they could could bend together,
0: invest into a single public charger that actually makes sense at a location that makes sense for people to use. And then you can still like the the people that the person that sells you the car, like, hey, let's let's go drive there. Like it's just a, a few miles away. Let's just go drive there and going to show you how it works for your first charge real quick. Like that would be perfect. Yeah. Maybe
1: you should, uh, Mr. X, you should reach out to this dealership and offer that solution. All right. Last question currently, Michael Minardi question. Why can't Ford just take orders online and assign to the closest dealer? Um they sort of do something like that now, but uh, the dealers are they have the last word on the, the prices.
0: Yes, exactly. All right.
1: Well, that's it for
0: this week's episode. We went on an hour right on the dot. So we appreciate everyone that's been listening to the show. If you do like the show, please give us a thumbs up, Uh whatever it is that uh, makes the engagement in the app that you're looking at right now. Because we are alive everywhere. YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, name it, we're there. And uh, if you're listening on your podcast app, we also appreciate you. If you can give us a five-star rating on the app that you're listening right now, that helps the show tremendously, brings us new readers, new electric fans, new EV fans, and we love that. And we love you. Have a good one. Bye-bye.